0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Before we get started, uh, we're off for the next couple Saturdays, so we won't be here with you live on Saturday, uh, but we'll be back Saturday, September 18th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, with a brand new uh, live stream QA with lit manager and producer Mark Manis of World Builder Entertainment. But today we have an illustrious guest, originally from the south side of Chicago and a former cast member of the Broadway hit show Stomp and its Emmy-winning HBO film adaptation, Stomp Out Loud. He's earned multiple degrees from the University of Southern California, including a PhD where he studied theater, film, anthropology, and American studies, and has also taught screenwriting and cultural studies at USC, Occidental College, and Cal State Fullerton. Uh, He recently signed a first-look deal with Blumhouse Television and has written hand, has written and produced for such shows as The Blacklist, Undercovers, The District, and Lincoln Heights, and is the 2020 recipient of the Television Academy Honors Award for his work as writer, showrunner, and executive producer of Queen Sugar, for which he's also earned multiple NAACP Image Award nominations. I'm out of breath. He is Anthony Sparks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anthony. I do appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Kevin. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, it was... You're... you're background was far more interesting and diverse than I had anticipated so that was quite a pleasure cool, cool and you know honestly I didn't cover everything you're a playwright and I didn't get to cover that and so I mean there's just way too much in your background which which leads me to our first question which is great Uh Um, your background you have such a diverse background Um, how do you go from phd in american studies to a performer on stomp uh to winning the television academy honors award as a showrunner Mm uh so maybe we can start at the beginning uh i just want to hear more about your background how you got started uh and sort of your uh, an abbreviated journey if you can uh, to sort of
1: where you are now Okay, well, tell me if I sometimes if I start talking about my background, I sometimes fall into a little bit of a rabbit hole, uh, depending on what my interest is that day. No, no. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) tell me, get to the next part, get to the next part. Um, Quickly, I am, like, as you said, from South Side of Chicago, and didn't know what a TV writer, producer, showrunner was growing up. Uh, But I did understand theater. Mm -hmm. So I started, so I'm a theater based person started doing theater theater brought me to school at USC so really the the, 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 the short trajectory is is actor playwright TV writer showrunner that was really how it went and squeezed in there is a PhD if that makes <laughs> sense at all um, so it I didn't go from PhD to writer I mean gotcha. to writer I went from from actor mm-hmm. playwright TV writer. And then at the same time as TV writer, I decided I would use, uh, as I would see if I, I would stop TV writing for a couple of years, pursue a PhD, start writing again while writing my, you know, thesis and dissertation paper, uh, uh, dissertation, and while also cons- uh, resuming my TV career. So it was kind of like this thing I was doing at the same time, which was insane. You know, but I was an actor. I was a young black mm-hmm. male actor from the South Side of Chicago, who often uh, was finding myself at the time in the mid and late '90s and early aughts, um, just finding opportunities being really, really limited. You know, um, it has been such a thrill for me in the last few years to see like the conversation about representation mm-hmm. and stuff like really come forward. I've been in that battle and that fight, both personally in terms of trying to work and then larger just as an advocate in the industry for years, as have many of my peers. And um, it's great that we can have those conversations in the open now. You had to be a little bit quiet about it back in the day. Um, But that was it. So basically I was a young actor. I was in New York, I was performing, I was auditioning, I was running into these roadblocks that I didn't like. Um, where people were telling me that I didn't exist, you know, and Mm. so therefore there was no place for me in uh, the sort of larger filmic world and TV world. And my answer to that was, and the short version is, I need to be involved in the creative process before uh, 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 an audition takes place for actors. And I had always written as well. It was a little bit more of a private pursuit then, as it can be. And then I decided I needed to push that forward. Um, as a matter of survival, frankly, and then as a matter of also finding a way to thrive, and as a matter of trying to participate in what was then a a smaller conversation that has grown about um, representation
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, of Black people, people of color, and and that conversation has gotten uh, hotter and broader at the same time, which I think is great. And I felt like that Creatively, I was just being attracted to writing and finding a way to make a living at writing, uh, which you can in TV. And also, at the same time, wanting to have something to say with what those images and those stories are that we consume mm-hmm. through um, TV and now streaming as well. So that's sort of how I started. So I started writing plays backstage, man, at start, at stop, I'll literally be backstage writing. Um, plays and then writing spec scripts and uh, it was clear that my creative energy was sort of running in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a very committed actor and I loved acting, but I also, for me at that time, there wasn't as much space for the hyphenates that you see now mm. of people who are acting and writing and stuff like that. And so I felt like I had to make a choice at a certain point. Um, I've been an actor for like 10 years and made my living for an actor. It's a 10 years, primarily a stage actor. Mm. And I went I'm going, I'm going into TV and I just, I was young. I just got married and I begged my lovely young bride at the time. It's like, she's still my bride, but we were younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, could you please go on this crazy notion of a ride with me? And um, she did, and it didn't work out right away, mm. but it eventually began to, uh, doors began to open. So that's sort of the short version.
0: No, that's great. Um, and I was going to save this for a little bit later. Uh, I was going to do a little more practical writing type stuff, but you know, based on what you were talking about, um, diversity, uh, and I do want to ask what diversity was like when you first started, um, versus Mm -hmm. how it is now and sort of also, where do you think we need to go from here? What needs to still continue to change and grow and, 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 and and to, to
1: increase diversity? You know, I got my first TV writing job in
2: 2003
1: mm-hmm. um, that I won't call that the first wave, I'll call that wave 1.5 mm. in terms of TV drama. It wasn't quite the second wave. wasn't I, there are too many people who came before me um, that I can't take credit from on whose shoulders I stand, who opened the door first. But you know, when I first came in, it was still novel that black writers would write drama. Uh, black writers in TV had been relegated to only writing comedies really? at that time. The, oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely, it sounds so crazy hmm. now that you're that it's like, what? Really? It's right. like, yeah. There for a long time in television, if you were going to be one of the few, and there weren't many working black writers, you had to, you had to do half hour. There was just no question about it. You simply were not hired. It was an unwritten rule in the industry that you were not hired to do dramas. That was for serious writers. But if you can tell some jokes,
0: I follow you. (laughs) You might go over here. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a
1: very simplistic way of looking at half hour comedy, obviously, because Mm -hmm. half hour there's incredible, incredible work that's story based character work that's Mm -hmm. happened in comedy. But that was sort of the idea was, you know, Black writers come in and sprinkle a little, you know, Black humor on top of sure. a half-hour space. Um, so there were very few people at that time who were black and who were working in one-hour television. You had the Kathleen McGee Andersons. You had the Pambi says You had hmm. uh, maybe uh, you know Charles Holland. You had yet you had. You had um, uh, I don't want to leave someone out, but but it was not a very long list of people. And then in the mid. 2000s there started to be a trickle more of us and i was part of that trickle Mm -hmm. of people coming in and um that's what it was so that's where the conversation was can you even just get in you know we weren't even having the conversation about can you get in and be empowered right right because there's there's the presence like i'm in the room there's that conversation. And then there's now a conversation, well, while well, I'm in the room, am I being empowered to get my voice ideas into the story-making, image-making process?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that, the con- so the conversation has moved. Um, there's still not enough. Uh, there's more of us, but there's still not enough. And ironically now, you would probably, just based on the state of, energy, uh, of the industry, there's probably more people working in one-hour drama of color and Black people than actually half hour, probably now. Um, and that's a function of, you know, the number of jobs, the number of shows and what those shows look like. Right. But back in the day, it was exactly flipped. Mm-hmm. It was very hard to be a drama writer, you, you know, know. As, as a black person. Yeah.
0: And sort of what do you see going forward? What needs to to change? How can uh, the industry improve and change and grow in that sense or continue to grow? Um, obviously, it's grown from leaps and bounds from 10 years right. ago, but still, there's a ways to go. Uh, right.
1: What do you see going forward? Well, you know, the, last, the conversation the last five and six years has been that we're, A, in a golden age of TV, and maybe mm-hmm. we're in a golden age of, of, of black television. Um, I would say to everybody, let's slow down with those uh, uh, characterizations. There are 500, four to 500 scripted shows Mm. on TV and you can still name all of the um, black showrunners on, you know, it's still probably a list of maybe 15 of us Mm. actually, you know, um, uh, who have been able to ascend to that position or create and get our own shows on um, and run those shows. Um, And uh, so I, so I would say that it is, you know I, I have i have a saying anytime you can count the number of people who are diverse in an industry there's not enough of them right <laughs> right if you can count them right <laughs> if you could just name them off if you can name yeah. them all yeah. you know then there's too few of us and then also then what is the variety of those stories mm. that are being um allowed to being told um i will say that I am excited to see, you know, uh, Karen just with her show on Our Kind of People. I'm excited to see uh, uh, Janine sherman uh making shows. I'm excited to see uh, Zahir McGee, Saladin Patterson. These are people who all, uh, you know, myself, I'm in development um, uh, deeply, deeply in a lot of development. I'm very excited to see these particular set of writers and those and their peers get shows um, and get shows on, Mm -hmm. why? Because these are writers who put in their time um, on other people's shows and managed to find a way into the industry when um, it was, uh, it's still very hard, right? But did it somehow, and they did it based on their work. They did it not based on um, having a great publicist. Mm um, being really great at Twitter, um, being really great and all of those things, which help people and help us have direct connections with audiences. And that's great. So we should use all the tools that we have, but I think there is something to be said when you put the spotlight on people who sat in front of that computer or typewriter or pen and paper or whatever it is they used to create and wrote themselves a career, hmm. wrote themselves, um, a, um, uh, uh, uh wrote themselves into sort of a a type of relevance that way. And I think that we need to see that uh, uh, a lot more when it comes to uh, black writers and producers in particular versus um, people who made noise in some other arena or related arena, and then were able to transfer that Hmm. over into TV. Because what that does is exceptionalize that sort of star power right
0: gotcha.
1: and says that you have to be that in order to be worthy of having some real estate um, in television or having a career right and that's not only not fair that's very limiting to right. um, the potential of the variety of voices that can get out there invest just in, invest in writers mm-hmm. i want to see writers invested in because writers are the bedrock and the leaders of television traditionally have been Obviously television is an expansive space and so it's making room for more voices. Mm -hmm. But to place a value on the Black intellect, the Black creative energy and intellect is something that is very important to me and I think very important to our community to say that I can sit down and come up with a world and, and characters and you're into it enough to put millions of dollars behind it without a lot of other flash Mm -hmm. going on because our counterparts don't have to do that
2: right right our counterparts
1: can sit down our our white brothers and sisters can sit down and write something and someone responds to it and it gets put on that's a simplistic way of talking about it but i think you understand the general trajectory of what i'm saying
0: yeah no it sells on its own merits as opposed to needing something extraneous to elevate it to being worthwhile for their attention and their that are you know love
1: my hip-hop brothers and sisters mm-hmm. or whatever but i gotta go get you know you know one of them to attach to right. my it's right. like like really why is that requirement <laughs> right you know for you only seem to apply to black people mm-hmm. you know uh black creators. right and right. so it's exciting then to see shows from writers like i like i mentioned earlier this particular season that are getting on getting promoted you know mm-hmm. um and being made and being promoted and those are people those are writers and showrunners and creators that just did their time paid their dues Mm -hmm. and they're getting their shot and i applaud it and want to see more of that yeah
0: yeah no that's yeah um now just quickly for those uh watching uh the live stream if you have questions for anthony please drop them in the chat and then we'll be we'll start answering them in just a few minutes but i did want to ask you um anthony about going to your diverse background now, and then sure. diverse meaning you, you know, you're in academics and, and performance mm-hmm. and playwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that or how does that, I, I suppose it still does, affect your writing? Because a lot of writers come at it from they went to school where you know they studied right. English or they study something and then they right. Work, right. And work and work and, and practice writing and get better and better and then become. Right, a TV writer—they get hired at some point, or they become an assistant, uh, and get promoted. But you obviously have experience as again a performer on stage, uh, a playwright, mm-hmm. um, as mm-hmm. an actor, as an academic studying multiple yeah. different things—not just film and television, but right. you know American uh, 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 culture and, and you know ethnic studies and things like that. How does that affect your your writing and what you bring to to the page and to the screen ultimately?
1: It it does in a major major way. Mm -hmm. Um, First, uh, you know, as an actor, I know what's playable, (laughs) Uh, and I also know what when I was an actor as my primary, I know what it was to pick up something and read it and be just set on fire by it. And I got to play this or I got to have a shot at it or I got to audition or this writer is after something. It's this writer is entertaining and engaging. Yes, we always want to be that um, upfront, but also like there's something else going on behind these words or behind this story. And I remember when I was at my best as an actor is when there was just something meaty to bite into.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And ultimately, the pieces that would stay with me would be pieces that just had something to say and had something behind it that backed up what they wanted to say. It wasn't just somebody just saying whatever they felt like saying, you know. Um, there, was, there was work being done. They had done some homework. So that started to sort of set me on fire as an actor. So as an actor, I also you know, I love music um, in dialogue. Um, uh, Sometimes to a fault I have to pull myself back sometimes because uh, sometimes there isn't uh, space or room for that in TV, but I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I don't want all my dialogue just to carry plot, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes TV can get shaved down to the point where that's what it is, and um, I'm not at my best there. I'm at my best when I'm creating space for there to be music in the scene, for there to be emotion Mm -hmm. in the scene. Uh, And when I say music, I mean music in the dialogue. Um, uh, So for there to be emotion in the scene and for there to be breaths in the scene. So as an actor, I bring all of that sort of, well, what would I want to play, you know, if I were still doing that? And that's just fun. So I I just have a lot of fun with that. So that's what I brings. That's how being an actor affects my work. Um, It's not separate from it. It's actually quite um, endemic to it. As a thinker, uh, as uh, if you want to use the word an intellectual, as as someone as as an academic, a scholar, Mm -hmm. um, I did that piece because I was already working before I stopped and went to go get a Ph.D. or paused, I should say. Right. So I didn't feel the need to get an MFA. I didn't feel the need to do. Any of that. I had a BFA already. So I knew what that sort of intense artistic creative training already was. I felt I had great instincts about the world and and sort of the way that I thought about the world. But, and I had, I was, you know, well educated, you know, and I was a reader and all of that. And I was surrounded by this great community particularly when i lived in uh, when i first moved to new york i fell in with this community of black actors and writers and dancers and and it was it was just a glorious glorious time and the things that we would begin to talk about were very exciting to me um and for me a lot of that was instinct and i wanted to be going off of more than instinct i wanted to be more responsible with the fact that i was going into a medium that is going to reach thousands, potentially millions of people. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that there is a responsibility that goes along with that. The question is whether you choose to embrace that or if you choose to try to ignore that. And so I went to go dive into American studies, American history and ethnic studies and, and things about race and gender and, and politics. And uh, I, I, I really wanted to have all of that stuff at my fingertips just to sort of be this walking sort of like i've really engaged in a lot of different things i felt like for me my particular path that was going to make me a better writer that was going to make me potentially a writer of impact uh if the circumstances were right or if the project was the right project and that's one major reason why i did it um that is the major reason why i did it now that's a long road to like so you you know why can't you just pick up some books and read <laughs> yeah. you know? it's like, like well, most people like most people <laughs> right. Right? well because you know i also thought being credentialized as a black person would help i could would help me in lots of different ways and um in ways that are a little bit different than what I originally thought that has borne out to be true. Mm -hmm. It gave me a very specific way of being able to dig under a story. So that academic piece has fused with my creativity so that they are one. And what's happening now um, is that the projects that come to me, the projects that I'm interested in, they're hefty projects Mm -hmm. that I don't think would come to me If I had not proven that I was a person who um, is capable of a certain level of thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, of formulating thoughts that are serious, you know, thoughts. So I'm able to walk into a meeting and somebody hands me a piece of material or they go, we're interested in this. Might you be interested in this? And I'm able to tell them, yeah, I'm interested in this. Um, If you don't do this right, your career is going (laughs) to be over (laughs) like this is a right a a powerful piece of material and uh and i'm the guy for you to figure it out (laughs) you know um so it allows me to to just have uh an engagement with the world that is useful for television but Mm -hmm. also extends beyond television so you know i don't have to pretend to go and half read one book and then act like I know what I'm talking about, I've actually put in the time and the work to either know a particular subject and be able to get under it, or if I don't, to know how to really sure. get up to speed on that in a way that is very real and substantive. So, and then I'm just, I'm just a nerd like that, man. I just wanna, <laughs> I, just wanna I just wanna, I just want to. like, you know, so many people have done so many powerful, wonderful things. Um, uh, who look like you, who look like me. And to be able to have that in my sort of creative caboose,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, it empowers me because I know I'm not the first to walk through this door. And so when I am in a room trying to represent myself, I feel like I am also representing a ton of people, uh, a ton of energy that you don't see, that you can feel that is also in that room with me and it gives me a certain type of confidence frankly you know so that when i walk into a room i like to feel like you know any room that i'm in i deserve to be there that's what my mama told me so i'm gonna go with that
0: yeah (laughs) um so how does uh being uh, a showrunner a black showrunner uh, Mm a showrunner of color do you Mm -hmm. feel the do you feel the you know you're bearing the weight of of that responsibility because obviously you're an academic you you've you're an intellectual you you you've thought about this and, and the people that yeah. have come before you but now no. you're sort of carrying that uh, right. mantle that responsibility um yeah. how does that affect you know the way you you write and and the way
1: you run your shows and things like that Absolutely. There are some people who would tell you, man, I don't want to think about all of that. I'm just trying to be creative. That's hard enough. Um, that is not a privileged position that I feel that I can embrace. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I have to do what I have to do to create space for me to be creative, for me to make mistakes, to be creative is to, um, sometimes you know to be on a growth journey right Mm -hmm. um and make mistakes so i'm not saying that i'm not saying you have to be like this walking representation no 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 however what it does is like we all have like our responsible selves and then you have that idiot that lives in the back of your head that you know can like mess up everything if you were to let that person like run loose Mm -hmm. right i keep that person as much as i can uh uh you know in a corner Because that's, to me, what the responsibility means. It means I'm going to do my best, you know, um, not to say that I'm going to be perfect because I'm not, because I'm human. Right. But I am not going to act a damn fool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Meaning I'm not going to let my ego run away with me because I have a position, you know, as if I'm the first person ever to do this, Mm -hmm. you know. And therefore, I do not feel that as a creative person, um, sometimes we as creative people allow the fact that we are blessed with creativity to be an excuse to act an ass. And I am not interested in that.
0: Gotcha. It doesn't
1: mean that I've never made a mistake. It just means that I am aware that I'm not the first person through this door. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be and will not be the last person through this door. So I am going to do my best to not give the powers that be a reason to not give the anthony sparks that's coming along in 20 years 10 years a shot right and is that a is, is that a responsibility um sure i prefer to call it um being a good human being mm-hmm. and that is, is 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 interesting to me one of the things that i discovered about being a showrunner even before i became a showrunner but definitely when i became a showrunner is that there is a way to be a showrunner that where you can actually do a good job at the job Mm -hmm. and not care about people, actually.
2: Okay. Like,
1: like you can do it in a way that is where you claim the mantle of just the show, the show, the show, Mm -hmm. while you just run through people uh, in a way that is unhealthy and um and abusive frankly i'm not interested in being that kind of showrunner that to me is not success that to me is not winning Mm -hmm. obviously as a showrunner and as a show creator there are decisions that you have to make sometimes those decisions are tough uh there are some some assessments that you have to make you know um but i do believe that if you're in the business of telling human stories you should be a human being as much as you can right And when you're dealing with other creative people, you don't own them. They are lending you their creativity. Mm -hmm. And that there is a way that you can encourage that in them that's going to make your show better Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and certainly going to make the process of making that show better. And uh, that's important to me because I've never seen anybody's CV on their headstone. Right. So... So you know, I do think that there is and I, one of the things I liked about the showrunners training program that the WGA runs, Carol mm-hmm. Kirschner and, uh, 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 and and others run, uh, is that they make space for a conversation about how to do this job with with humanity um, being one of your core values, and uh, that's something that I believe in and embrace, while also making a fantastic show.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, speaking of of showrunner, um, a lot of our uh, listeners, viewers are emerging writers, and their goal is to get in a room with a showrunner such as yourself and try to land that first staffing job. Uh, What advice would you have for them? What kind of things stand out in in newer writers? I don't want to say younger writers, but newer writers, uh, writers who are emerging writers who... who, uh, you know, are trying to get that first job. What stands out to them? Obviously, you're meeting them. You you like them as a, a, a writer at that point. I would assume uh, you've mm-hmm. read the writing and you like it. So, w- what is it that that they can do to make themselves stand out in a good way, and what what should they avoid possibly, in, you know, in a bad way?
1: Wow. Um, let me see. How do I um, sort of hone in on that? Um, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing is, is that they are writers who write <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and take writing seriously, and there's something, and that comes through in their work, and their writing sample.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They are people who have a strong point of view um, and are exploring that point of view vis-a-vis their story. Um, in ways that, you know, are grounded by character. I'm not talking about proselytizing or anything like that. Um, And you might be, you're like, well, of course, that's what writers do. Um, Yes, but when you're talking about television, you have to understand that uh, Hollywood, the entertainment industry, television, uh, can attract people who have an agenda that has nothing to do with being a good writer telling great stories
2: mm-hmm.
1: It has to do with making money, um, which I'm a fan of and believe in. And yes, everybody, blah, blah, blah. But I've noticed something when I talk to people, you know, people coming up, I've noticed that a lot of people no longer say, I want to be a TV writer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They say, I want to be a Gotcha. They start there. And while on one hand, it's lovely to hear that, Um, because that means they have an awareness or paying attention to it. I get the feeling that a lot of people are saying that because they perceive it um, as uh, a power position. Mm -hmm. And I had a showrunner who invested in me once and, and really took it upon themselves to train me as a producer. And they said to me, Anthony, I believe in you. I believe that you can go the distance. And they said, when you um, get to the point where you're able to hire writers, be sure you hire real writers, not people who want to be in show business. And they said, there's a difference. There's a difference between writers and people who just want to be in show business. And TV work can get really difficult um, and really challenging. And you want to be sure that you're surrounded by like-minded people who have something to say and see TV as a way to um, tell great stories and and say that. Uh, so number one, just a seriousness of intent about your work. Now that sounds like a real downer. It sounds like I'm no fun to be within a room. Right? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> you know, um, it's 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 not. It's it means it it just means that you think. It's a person who's able to see the project as being bigger than themselves, yeah. that we're all working on this and that brain trust called the writer's room to make this project, this particular story that we're telling your stories as as, as engaging, as fantastic as we can make it up. So a seriousness of intent is is a short way of saying all that, that comes through in the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, is being on a TV show in a writer's room, uh, especially pre-pandemic, um but and and is is like you know people have said before it's like getting into a submarine you know you're going to spend a lot of time with these people and you want to um be able to do that because they're not jerks um (laughs) um, and that they are um people who are interested in other people Mm -hmm. and interested in the stories that they have to tell um and um so you hear this said a lot. I think now it's kind of a thing that people like to say, I have a no assholes policy, right? Is what people like to say. On and what's interesting about some people who say that is that they themselves have a very interesting <laughs> reputation about whether or not they or they themselves are not an asshole. Right. Um, um, they don't want the
0: competition. I'm just kidding. They don't want the competition.
1: <laughs> right? like, I'm, you know. Right. You know, but generally that's true. You don't want, people who this gets back to my earlier point who are using their creativity as an excuse to be less than the best person they can be because I'm creative so no, I'm- i get to say what I want to say however I want to say it no matter how it you know impacts other people so a writer who is whose um, intent uh, in terms of being a serious writer to have something to say is number one that comes through in the script. Mm-hmm. And then just being a person that somebody can hang with for hours um, in a room without making them, you wanting to kill them at five o'clock, you know, every day, you know. And since writers can be people who spend a lot of time, you know, in their head or alone, you know, it may take some effort for you to be sure that your social skills are okay, (laughs) you know. Um, And hopefully you have a few people in your life that can tell you the truth about like. You know whether or not you uh, have some habits of person that make it difficult for you to be around. You know, um, I, I've been on shows where people had to had where the showrunner had to be like, "Yo, could you shower?" <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. I don't need nobody to be so creative. No, no, that they can't you know do their hygiene right like right. that's like crazy um you know so it's it's really kind of simple in that way it's just um you know put your your heart and uh and your and your world point of view um in your work not that every character has to have the same position that you have. That's a slight mistake I see happening a lot today and kind of working his way into rooms. And those of us who've been around a little bit longer are pushing back a little bit, um, you know, where, you know, you can, um, you don't want to shut down discourse in the room uh, because that makes interesting characters and interesting stories. And sometimes there are in uh, some of the newer writers who've not been in rooms before, they don't quite understand that you need to sometimes talk about the thing that is uncomfortable to talk about because you're trying to ma- find a way to sharpen uh, a character's point of view uh, in the show. Um, If someone pitches something that is, you know, not cool with you, it's not because that's their point of view. It's because they're saying this might be an interesting point of view to explore in the show. I do sometimes see with newer writers, they aren't quite as used to that. Mm -hmm. And so they want to, you know, sort of attack somebody because they pitched uh, an unpalatable point of view that a character might espouse. And I would say that that's where the juicy drama is, you know. Actually, and uh, and so that you should find a, re- a responsible way of um, of having of having that story play out, you know, on your show if that's the the, the right story for your show.
0: Yeah, um, I did want to get to a few of these uh, questions from the yep. uh, the chat here. Um, hmm. Let's see here. Monique Johnson says, can you talk us through the process of getting the job with Queen Sugar?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a fairly straightforward process. I don't have like a, a big like, um, you know, I mean, nobody knew what Queen Sugar was going to really become until it became that. So I will say this. Um, um, after, Selma, after Ava DuVernay directed Selma, um, and you know, and her name was really getting out there, I could see that there that that she was a person who was interested in creating space in her work to do to have real conversations, to have, you know, maybe at times some uncomfortable conversation. That was very attractive to me. Um, I don't even know, I've, I've never even told Ava this. I don't even know if she knows. Um, we were actually set to meet once before Queen Sugar on on another project Um, and that somehow either didn't happen or or whatever we didn't end up meeting um and it was a very it was a very late process I got a call late in the day uh on like a Monday and they're like Ava DuVernay wants to meet you uh and Melissa Carter who was the showrunner in the first season of Queen Sugar want to meet you do you know what Queen Sugar is? I was like, no, I don't know what Queen Sugar is. Uh, what is that? You know, they're like, well, it's a novel. And uh, Oprah Winfrey wants to turn it into a TV show and sort of, you know, really get behind this. And they sent me the script. I sat down and read it as soon as uh, I got it. And I remember I wrote one word across the top of the script after I read it. I wrote, yes, exclamation And what that meant was, I felt I understood it. I felt without even before even meeting um, uh, Ava, I felt like I understood these characters and knew who they were um, or could be. Um, And I felt like it was the sort of thing that I could pour a lot of my creativity into. Um, And because sometimes you get a meeting for a show and even if you feel like you can do a good job on the show, it's not something that you feel like sort of can taps a piece of your core. And Queen Sugar for me felt like that. And so it was really that simple. Like I got a call on a a five o'clock on a Monday for a meeting at noon on a Tuesday. And so the rest of that time became about diving into it and figuring out, went, met Ava, we hit it off. And I was able to talk about, it opened up a space where I could really begin to talk about my family. And I just felt like it was something that I could bring both, like, like both my heart and soul and my intellect to, and not everything is like that, you know, and that turned out to be true. Um, And which is why, you know, I've done the show for six seasons, you know, so yeah. It was really that simple. And, uh, and that first season room on Queen Sugar was like a lightning in a bottle room mm-hmm. that happens every now and again, where, you know, all the writers in that room, we were all going on this new journey together because none of us had ever seen a show about black sugarcane farmers <laughs> before or since. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have a real big template that we could pull from. We sort of had to figure out, you know, uh, you know, uh, together with Ava, what we what 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 was how was this a series? We had to figure it out and not a movie.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: that was a big question that we asked ourselves. Um, and because we were straight to series, we didn't have a finished pilot to look at to pull strings from and blah blah blah. Uh, there was a script. Um, and so we dug in and it was it was terrific, it was terrific process. had a great time it was one of those magical rooms where we just dug in and together we found you know what became queen sugar the series you know um so it it was it was really um a wonderful process you know with a great roadmap in this pilot yeah i mean it
0: definitely sounds like it was one of those things that was just meant to be like everything just kind of fell into place It it was it
1: was yeah it was it was it was one of those and um I've been on projects like that before and I've been on projects that were supposed to be that, that didn't turn out to be that. (laughs) Um, And so look, if you could boil down into a formula, why a TV show ends up working Hmm. or not, then every TV show would Would work. work. Right. (laughs) And you can't, that's the slippery part of creativity, right? It's like, you know, you gotta have, um, you know, uh, you got to have, you got to have a strong vision, hopefully, or, or a vision that can be found if it doesn't start out with one you've got to have. The cast has got to be right, you know, um, and, and your writers have got to be, you know, right, you know, and you don't really know that going into the beginning of it. You can't possibly know the show doesn't even exist yet. A pilot is not a show you know? Um, It's easy
0: to look uh, back on a show that didn't work and say, oh, this should have changed or these two actors but that's with with hindsight.
1: Exactly. So when you're fortunate enough to capture that lightning in a bottle, um, I think it has to be treated very carefully and respectfully uh, and the creative auspices that contributed to that project have to be valued ultimately Mm -hmm. if that project is going to be all that it can be and receive a second world.
0: Uh, let's see here, uh, Simba Dbinga hey Simba, uh, says um, this brother is the truth, as an unrepresented black writer with most of my uh, protagonists being black, brown, or Asian, um, my question is do you feel like there is a subconscious barrier created against these kinds of stories? Most coverage websites are 98% stocked with white execs and reps
1: I want to be sure I understand the question um that's being asked um tell me the second part of it again i, I understand that you're saying that coverage websites are saying lack diversity yeah um, i mean it says therefore- most
0: coverage websites are 98 percent you know read by white execs and reps but i mean i think it's he's looking at also from a representative point in the industry in general with executives and you know uh, managers and agents you know although the points of entry for yeah. newer writers especially writers of color facing obstacles facing these barriers by you know uh you know executives who are not of color so
1: to speak. right right who therefore may not um be able to understand the piece of work yeah or be as
0: responsive like you said it's yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. very it's it's harder for a writer of color to be judged on the merits of their story or their writing ability and more about what else you bring to the table, what sort of heat it has, what sort of, you know, A-list talent or uh, celebrities attached to it something like that, as opposed to just being judged on the merit of that
1: piece. You know, I'll say a couple of things, and hopefully this gets at some of what what the the writer Mm -hmm. who asked that question uh, is asking, Um, and I apologize in advance if, if it doesn't cover all of that. Um, In some ways, I'll talk about it in three parts. When I was first starting, this uh, push for new writers to write pilots was not as strong. Hmm. People were more into spec scripts, which is really more of the job of a new writer um, uh, and the job of a staff, which is to come in and help write something for which there is a template already. So when we were doing specs of existing shows, you could show that in such a way that, um, and that you were a strong writer who could tap into someone else's voice or vision. uh, You could do that, you know, in a way that perhaps would help you get beyond that initial resistance to, you know, a black story or an Asian American story or, or, or which, then there was this big push that happened about 10 years ago. And I remember it. it was like that all of a sudden. It was like you could not get staffed one season if you did not have this killer pilot. And it has stayed that way ever since. I think that's both good and bad. It's good in the sense that it gives you a sense of, of what a person's skill sets are um, at that particular point in time. But it's also asking a new writer to do work that people literally get paid millions of dollars to do well. Right. Like for free. Mm -hmm. People get paid millions of dollars to write pilots, Mm -hmm. to write viable good pilots. Um, You know, certainly hundreds, uh, you know, they get a lot of money for that. And so we're now asking new writers to do that up front, Mm -hmm. which is going to tend to push writers towards what they know, I think. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they're writing pieces that are very close to them that's good in the sense that someone like me gets a sense of what you're really interested in. and But it's also uh, at one point I think could create a barrier because it's, it, it, it's somebody's gonna write something very personal and the person who's reading and hiring or doing coverage or whatever can't c- relate to that. Um, then it gets, people tend to dismiss what they don't understand. I think that's what the writer's saying. That's the second part. The first part was we were doing specs. The second part is that then we were doing these pilots and that that could create some unintended consequences. I think that is true. But now the third part of what I want to say is that we are in a moment now with television, where television, I believe, as an industry, understands that it cannot go back to being what it was Hmm. and survive and thrive. I don't know that the environment... For finding new voices will remain as intense as it is right now. But I do feel that it will not go all the way back to what it was 15, 20 years ago. And so now you're at a point where some entities are looking for that specific voice, not because they love us so much, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But because the industry realizes it cannot survive, the audience will not accept mm-hmm. any longer voices that don't feel authentic, that don't feel like they want to see themselves reflected back and in and, and, and more than a cursory uh, surface way. So that creates opportunity for those of us who have been doing this and for those who are uh, making their way and trying to find their first entry. Um, in terms of coverage sites and things like that, I don't know how impactful those are to begin with, um, but I don't want to speak out at school because I don't really sure. know about that. What I do know is that good scripts tend to find their way. Um, and and writers who consistently write um, tend to eventually have a script land in a place that can be advantageous for them. I'm not going to say that somebody's going to read your script and it's so great that they're just going to make your show, but that it can move you forward in your career, right. moving, being unrepresented to being represented, move you from being unstaffed to being staffed or being on a support staff and, and getting a shot and a chance to create relationships and things like that that can aid you. Um, so... Um, I hopefully answer the question. Uh, you had
0: mentioned uh, that sort of switch from spec scripts of existing shows to yeah. you now, obviously original pilots or, or whatever yeah. one needs. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard of some showrunners t- reading an original pilot and then for a second sample maybe asking yes. for our, uh, a spec to sort of yeah. see if this writer can yeah. mimic a show's voice. Do you yeah. ever read request specs at all from potential staff writers or potential writers on your staff?
1: I have not done that a lot, but I think I will hmm. in the next show that I staff uh, because of it has created a unintended consequence of people who, like in some ways, we're asking people to audition for a job that is not the job that they're doing. Right, right. And we're doing that just to get a sense of like, is this a real writer? Does this writer have something to say? Um, but I would, I think, ideally, you need to and should have both, um, because there are some showrunners that are actually moving away from reading pilots and going, like you can't move away from it totally because now it's such the standard. Mm-hmm that if you were to ask, like, I only want to read specs, like, I I literally think that showrunner would not be able to staff the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Actually, you know, because yeah. it's such the wave now. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you this, if I read a writer in their original work, and I'm like, wow, really into them. And I was like, can I read a spec? And they got one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, I'm going to be and it's a good one. I'm going to be super impressed. Nice. Just because I'm like, they are ready. They are not going to they are not going to allow their shot to um, dissipate or potentially go away be- and by having to say, well, I don't have that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think when you're starting out, especially you should take away, you should take, you should take, a, you should take away the easy no. You know, I think that's kind of a a great thing in life, frankly. You know, take
0: away the easy no. I love that. Take
1: away the easy no. I mean, that was also part of the reason I went back to school. Not that someone was going to hire me because I have, you know, all uh, credentials. uh, But you ain't going to say that I don't have.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: true. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, oh, that wasn't uh, an easy no. That's, I mean, you took away that easy no, but it wasn't easy for you
1: to build up that. Yeah. Oh, no. I almost, oh, it almost killed me. (laughs) Like, I, you know, I tell people, please don't do it the way I did it. I mean, I was doing, I was staffed doing uh, a PhD while also having three children in three and a half years.
0: It hurts me just to hear about it.
1: Oh, it it hurts. It hurts the man I used to be, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I lived through it, but it was, it was, it was tough. And I had twins as well. Wow. you know, I, w- I was, you know, I did hit a wall at one point and go like, I think I, I, think I hit my limit. I think I think I'm at my limit and I'm going to back away just for, you know, a few months and right. get myself together. Um, but I'll tell you a little secret. Therefore, when I'm in tough situations while I'm running a show, um, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, I'm a little bit older, but um, my definition of a tough situation mm-hmm. and... Some people's definition of tough situation is very different. <laughs> it's,
0: it's like what the uh, uh, in, in, I don't. It's the Army or the Marines, or maybe it's the Navy SEALs. Yeah. When they're special forces training, they have like yeah. what's called Hell Week, and it's like two weeks of just super intense yeah. training where they're not allowed to sleep very much or eat very much, right. and, and they get yelled at the entire time. And the whole right. point is to put them in such stressful situations that when it comes time for actual combat, it's actually right. less stressful than what they went through so they can see, right. you know, nothing right. is as
1: bad as that. Right. So, so, you know, like a tough note session, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an artist like everybody else. Oh, I like get sure. sensitive about my shit, right? Da, 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 da. But I've yet to have a note session that is, and I've had some tough note sessions, you know. I've, I've worked with some big personalities. who got a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but... Does it compare to standing before five professors in a two-hour oral exam mm. about the history of Black people? <laughs> no. That I did on my lunch break? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, that's stress. Yeah. <laughs> that That is, you know, um, that's stress. And so some, sometimes you might want to throw yourself in the deep end of a pool of something so that you just are forced to develop certain muscles that you might not otherwise develop um you know and and you know going back to school was that for me yeah
0: Yeah. no that's great um let's see here um Jacqueline Jones Lamont says thank you for taking the time to speak with us on a Saturday during a very busy time for you I firmly yeah. believe that creating television shapes societal paradigms. I agree. Uh, I, I, can you speak to the potential?
1: The potential of television to shape society. Uh, yeah, I think that's paradigms. what the question
0: is, yeah.
1: Um, first of all, uh, yes and yes and yes to what this uh, writer asked. Um, yes, it does. Uh, I am a person who very much believes that that is part of the responsibility Of television, whether television was invented to do that or not, Mm -hmm. that is what it does. And so, woe unto you um, if you walk into the space without a sense of that history and that, and frankly, which is not a word I use often, but that power, you are placing your hands on the lens through which we all see each other. I'll say that again, you are placing your hands on the lens through which we all see each other and see our world and its potential Mm -hmm. through the stories that we tell. It's like the it's like the contemporary um, version of, of a hearth right from from, you know, it's less communal now because there's so much and everybody can choose their own experience. But it's still communal, and we have these social media apps and stuff that sort of create these sort of – and so it is. Um, That doesn't mean that you can't tell tough stories. I want to be very, very clear in my opinion that that is not what that means. Mm -hmm. But it does mean that you need to think um, as deeply as you can about what it is you're putting out into the world. So I don't think you can just do TV just to glorify yourself uh, and to get a a nice paycheck. Um, I don't think those are the type of writers that I want to work with Hmm. Um, um, because I have felt the brunt of what it means to not be seen or to be miss saying that's our word but but i think you know what i mean mm-hmm. to be um not seen properly right in the right lens uh, those are frankly for me as a black man that is potentially a deadly consequence hmm. um for me for my family for my sons um i have a son who likes to wear a hoodie hmm. and i have to tell him you know I have to tell them sometimes, like, no. And I don't know that that's going to save his life. I I do know that it gives other people an easy, it's stupid, but it gives other people an easy reason to dismiss, Mm -hmm. to devalue to the point where death is a possibility. Where does that meaning attached to the image of, of a young black boy in a hoodie where does that come from where's that imagery come from how did that image get reinforced to a degree where someone can walk into a courtroom and 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 actually say that that represents a threat mm-hmm. maybe it was raining outside or maybe i just like a hoodie right That's okay too. maybe your head was cold maybe the head was cold <laughs> yeah you know what they're for. Uh, Maybe I, you know, whatever. So um, images have power, and TV has power, whether we as TV makers accept that power or not. Mm -hmm. I choose to grapple with accepting that. Uh, Doesn't mean that I'm going to get it right all the time, but I, I, look, I'm trying to get into the Negro artist section of heaven, and um, I don't want them looking at me like, You had opportunity Hmm. and you refused responsibility along with it. I don't I want that charge.
0: (laughs) Makes sense. Um let's see here. Uh Mateo I can't pronounce your last name, Mascarzoni. This is great conversation. Thanks, Matteo. Uh, Monique Johnson, so much wisdom. Thank you, Monique. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking to Anthony. Um, Jacqueline Jones-Lamont. Oh, she has a follow-up. How has the pandemic impacted the urgency of your work?
1: Oh, wow. Great question.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I'm going to assume that when says the pandemic, I think also talking about the racial conversations that got intensified in Mm -hmm. 2020 as well. Um, um, It it has definitely impacted the variety of possibilities for what type of work people are talking about doing and we'll see how much of it makes it to the air. Um, The seriousness, the of the sort of projects that people are willing to talk to me about now and or that I can talk to people has definitely broadened. Um, it remains to be seen, as I said, sometimes projects get bought, but they don't ever see the light of day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Failure is the norm in TV, um, so that's not so unusual. But if at the end of the day, we look back at television and film, Five years after the murder of George Floyd, and it looks just like it looked before
2: mm-hmm. his
1: murder. Then we have a problem in that, in in terms of like, okay, um, are we serious about you know um, uh, how this medium can be yeah changed and transformed, yeah. uh, um, or were we just saying you know as an industry, were we just saying what we thought was the thing to say? Mm-hmm. I, I think the jury is still out um but i can say that the conversation has definitely widened in that respect in terms of say queen sugar we very much uh embraced that there was a season that was written for season five that was supposed to be a really great season that i was very proud of um and uh when we were shut down um you know um there was a feeling that there was a responsibility, that we had a, an opportunity, um, if not certainly an opportunity, if not, frankly, perhaps, an, a responsibility uh, with this very unique but sort of everyday-ish inequality Black family, uh, everyday, every man, every woman-ish sort of sensibility about some of our characters to um, grapple with the world that we live in. Um, and so we did that, um, and, uh, myself and Norman Vance, um, and, uh, we, uh, and, uh, Ava DuVernay, we, um, refashioned this season, you know, um, using, you know, a strong framework work from the writers that had worked on the original season. On. Um, and we were able to write a season that was one producible in this new sort of environment, mm. But more importantly, or just as importantly, I should say, um, uh, s- spoke to the moment. Um, and uh, some powerful work came out of it. Uh, some work that, that, that uh, I'm certain Um And so, yeah, so that's a sort of a specific example. And then I think we have the example of waiting to see what the outcome will be as a result of all of these conversations in the industry as things go or don't go into the pipeline of production. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Let's see here. Um, Beth G, uh, quote, I've never seen anybody's CV on their headstone. Oh, that's going to stay with me? Thank you for saying that. Um, (laughs) Let's see here. Uh, Carlos Serra says, as a showrunner, can you talk about the process of how writers' work comes to you and how you're assessing what you're looking at uh, when you're speaking to a writer you might staff?
1: Okay. Uh, well, uh, the the way a writer's work comes to a showrunner is generally, um, generally with an asterisk, I'm going to say this is generally through the established pipelines that um, exist in the entertainment industry, trusted agents and managers, uh, trusted and legitimate agents and managers, and Also, studio executives Mm -hmm. uh, play a role in that also, uh, if there's a production company involved, as there often is now, um, sometimes their creative executives will play a role in identifying writers for showrunners to um, consider. A showrunner needs um, a fair amount of help um, sifting through all of the submissions that come in and figuring out um, which scripts, uh, based on the needs of their show, they have time to read to consider a person. So you know, think of it as like this wide, you know, opening that gets smaller and smaller with each of those entities that I named the studio, the production company. Um your friends, <laughs> um actually, you know, um you know a lot of times um a word from another showrunner helps a showrunner staff their show. You know, I was you know, able to help a writer um, get a job on a show, on an upcoming show this season, that writer's script was not really in the be considered pile. And I was like, take a look. You know, that means a lot. Showrunner to showrunner, that means a lot. Mm -hmm. Because we know how busy we are. We know how impossible it is. And so if someone like me is going to say that to a peer, you know, and that person has a real need, they'll grab the script. I have to really be able to say that because next time they won't take my recommendation. <laughs> it's terrible, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I have to really believe in saying that, mm-hmm. um, and and that per- that it worked out for that person, and they met and killed the meeting, and 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 they're on that show. Um, that's that's one way. Um, so, having said that. Um, they're also, you know, showrunners are creative people and we all have our p- little particularity. So, so, so you have showrunners that will be like, I don't want to read any scripts uh, from, um, you know, I don't want to read a traditional script. Like, I'm looking for writers who have thought about a particular um, subject or topic that is important, that I see is important to my show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I want to read essays and short stories. Wow know and you can't predict what that's going to be right you you can't predict i would say those tend to be shows that are trying to seriously grapple with some big thing
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: and they know that they need to have a, a, a certain level of thinker in the room and not someone who just googled. you know right. uh, um you know whatever they googled you know and then try to pass themselves off as an expert right on that they want somebody who has been impacted by a particular issue gotcha. so that they can bring an authenticity into that room. I've seen that. Um, for Queen Sugar, as the seasons went on, I began to realize that the writers who did best on the show were writers who, um, you know, could A, do the job of a, of a writer on staff, which just sort of mimic the show, especially once the show was up on a seat, sort of mimic the um uh style of the show but the one thing that i figured out or that became important to me was that i needed people who had thought about the world hmm. in a very real serious way in some way thought about the world um generally from a black perspective whatever that means to them but if not specifically that just had thought about the world from the perspective of feeling marginalized in some way. Hmm. Uh, and had something to say as a result of that. Um, uh, so I would oftentimes pay just as much attention to that writer's background um, and what they had done before they became a writer uh, as much as the actual writing, themselves, the writing itself. Um, I, I was looking for a sense of... And then I was looking for, and then once the writing came through in a meeting, I would be looking for a person who was willing to, I could get a sense, was willing to kind of bleed on the page a little bit. Mm And what I mean by that is um, Queen Sugar is not a show that is typical of a lot of shows in the sense that on one hand, yes, it's a family drama, um, but it's a family drama that also embraces a certain amount. Of, um, of, of uh, elocution in terms of uh, talking about love, in terms of talking about politics, in terms of, um, of talking about race and gender and sexuality like, is like so. I needed people who were comfortable with uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. potentially, and how could I get a sense of that? You know, when I would meet a person, um, the franchise of Queen Sugar to me, um, the way I approach the show um, has always been emotion. And so, and I feel like if I could create a space with those writers where they felt um, uh, safe enough, uh, protected enough, um, uh, uh, and were also creative enough to allow that and to entrust that with the characters of Queen Sugar, I felt like that was when the show was going to be at its best, when the scripts were going to be at their best. Right. And so I was looking for people who um, had something to say, had done uh, some work to uh, uh, sharpen their articulation of what it is or their point of view of what they might want to say, who could also play well with others who might feel differently. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, And who just love these characters and wanted to imbue them with some of their real-world experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, And so um, for me, it was just as important the right, the background and the willingness of the person to share was just as important as the right example for me.
0: Yeah, Um, I don't remember who said it. I think it was maybe Mm Poe and I'm paraphrasing it, but when something like this was a quote that Um, writing isn't hard you just cut open a vein and bleed onto the page right yeah yeah (laughs) so you can yeah yeah you you know when
1: when I do workshops and teaching sometimes uh, with new writers I sometimes will tell them because sometimes particularly film writers will come in and they've got this great idea for this sci-fi movie that you know a new take on a sci-fi film Mm -hmm. no one has ever you know thought of before um and I'm like great Um, what's the human story behind all of Mm. these gadgets and stuff that you are, you know, really geeking out on, um, because chances are, um, it's something that you feel passionate about, whether it's personal to you or, or just personal and that you feel passionate about. And I'm not talking about autobiography, Mm -hmm. very clear about that, but I'm like, what is the thing that scares you a little bit to write about? um the thing that you're kind of a lot of people come into the arts to run away and i think the most powerful and impactful artists eventually realize uh if not at the beginning but at some point along the journey is like no actually i'm going to do my best work if i run towards the thing that i thought i was running right like a catharsis and that's easier said than oh, done. I sure. of a lifelong journey for a lot of people. And again, I'm not talking about autobiography mm-hmm. per se. Could be, but I'm not talking about that. Um, I think I could write a hell of a sci-fi movie. I ain't been to space. Um right. you know, so it's like and it's <laughs> yes. going. I yes. guarantee no, I'm not going. <laughs> okay. I was like, like, that's for them a Leave, leave
0: sure. that to yeah, Elon Musk
1: to do something with their money and time. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> um uh but i bet i but i think i could write a hell of a, you know, mm. of a of a sci-fi story actually. um and i will. um you know, um but so it's it's the running towards that thing. Mm-hmm. and i think as a life a life that you know, to sign up to be a writer is to in some way sign up to be a student, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of your life, uh even as a professional. Uh, Because you're always trying to get to a deeper level uh, and more impactful sort of story that you can tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some ways, the most successful writers in some ways are writing the same story over and over again. Uh, And I don't mean the same exact story, but they're working out something about the world and their place in the world. Right just in different ways and different characters and different sandboxes and then, you know, what is the recurring themes that come up for you mm-hmm. that you specifically have something to say about, you know, right. um, that's where, uh, you know, I think a lot of writers do the best work.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we're running a little short on time. We have about 10 minutes left. Uh, mm-hmm. We have some questions, so I'm going to try to run through some of these. Maybe we can get through uh, a few of these. Uh, Marlon's Way said, is there a possibility of selling an episode of an hour drama without joining a writing staff?
1: Sure. Um, it happens. Um, I'm I'm not... Is Does the person not want to join a writing staff?
0: I think they're looking at maybe selling their show before the... They have gotten on a staff. You know, uh, the it, it answer happens, to that question. But, yeah.
1: yeah. It, that, the, the, the answer to that question used to be absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That is not the answer to that question anymore. There are examples every year of people who uh, don't have a lot of experience or no experience in television who somehow managed to sell a show. Um, I will say, as someone who is interested in a career, um, versus a moment, um, that that is a very um, exciting place to be for someone who does that, but it is also a very dangerous place Mm to be, because that is basically you walking into a surgery, you haven't gone to medical school but you manage to snip the right thing that the surgery requires Mm -hmm. and the and the patient doesn't die um you you're in a if if that happens for you you are in a very very um vulnerable place more vulnerable than you could ever imagine Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um it's a good thing you sold a show but you sold a show in an industry and in the middle of a process, you have no idea how it works. And um, so um, I get this question more, and I don't know if it's like, because it's a genuine interest that someone actually wants that to happen, or if they are so frustrated with the process of trying to break in on the staffing front, that that's what they're saying. Well, I'm gonna just go the creator front. Most creators are people who have staffed on other shows mm-hmm. Um, or they are filmmakers who have migrated into television for whatever reason. Um, they are people who have told stories in some capacity before so that that when the opportunity comes for them to sell a show to television and maybe even get a show on, they are as prepared for it as anyone can be. Um, a lot of times people who manage to sell a show and they don't have any experience in television, or they had very little experience in television. See, people always do the splashy announcement about the cell, but they don't do the article about what happened after that. Right. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, what happened after that is that that project imploded.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for whatever reason, somewhere along the way. And yes, that happens to professionals a lot as well. Uh, it's a high failure rate business industry but you have a greater chance of seeing your idea um, go the distance i believe if you have also accrued some experience in television
2: Mm -hmm. uh
0: i think we have about five minutes but we have about five or six questions so let's see if we can find a Mm -hmm. couple good ones here um Gabrielle McRae just says, how did you know that Queen Sugar would be this epic? And did you say that Queen Sugar is a soap opera? Um, I don't know if you want to take a stab at that one. There's also a Farzin Farzam says, question, there was this Twitter talk about pilots in the last couple of days, and showrunners were saying that writers need to grab the viewer fast. Does, that, does it mean it's always better to have a teaser?
1: Um, Jack... I I think, just generally speaking, I will say that most showrunners, when they're hiring, you've got ten to fifteen pages Mm. to hook them in. Gotcha. Um, And um, and so, I I don't know that I specifically have to say, oh, you have to have the. It's it's got to be in the teaser. I'm just going to give you a page count. Whatever the structure of your of your pilot is, you got ten to fifteen pages before someone assesses that you have professional level writing talent. Mm-hmm. Um and and frankly that's sh- that will be clear like within a, a couple of pages. Mm-hmm. But in terms of whether they're going to stick with reading that writer, you've got 10 to 15 pages to have them invested in your story. Gotcha. In your main character or something like that, whatever that means to you
0: um jacqueline jones Lemon says how does the room process on an unscripted series differ if at all from a scripted series oh well
1: um i have not worked okay. in unscripted television um i do not know the answer to that question
0: um i could answer that uh but unfortunately we're sort of running short on time um I would love to answer that question, Jacqueline. Maybe we'll do that in the next one, if you ask it again. Uh, Let's see. uh, Swagmaster says, running a room requires an intention intentionality, excuse me, in facilitating conversation and creating emotional Mm -hmm. safety for your writers, which you were talking about, to feel comfortable to share. Can you speak to that? Have you seen this done well and badly? Hopefully you've seen it done well, because I know you've done it,
1: but Um, have you been in a room where it's done badly, I suppose? Yes and yes. Um, I've seen it done well. I've seen it done badly. Um, um, You know, I think a person, even a new writer, actually, when they first come into a writer's room, Mm-hmm. It, it just looks like a bunch of people sitting around, you know, chatting and you know, sh- you, know you know, shooting the shit or whatever it is, um, or just come in and just say your ideas and da 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 da. Um, it is so complex what is actually happening in that room, and the only people who really know what's happening in the room are the people who are in that room every day. Mm-hmm. If you're a person who drops by a room, you know, as a non-writing producer or whatever, you do not know what is under what is happening in that room. Mm-hmm. Trust me, you don't. Um, and so, and 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 and, nor do you know those people um, and uh, the things that need to happen and the the egos that need to be taken care of at times or the um, you know, you're trying to get the best work from your staff and each person may require something different
2: mm-hmm.
1: um i think the best thing you can do is treat them as individuals and creative artists who are lending you their talent um you do not own them um they are not widget makers um some people have to be it sounds obvious that some people have to kind of be reminded and told that actually um, um, and um, and so, yes, creating a safe space is important. You know, one of the things I would say about writers is that I sometimes think we in the WGA need to have a conversation about writers treating writers well. Um, that's ultimately what we all are, even if we have titles like executive producer and showrunner blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We're all on some level, hopefully, writers. And uh, writers... Um, can sometimes have a tough exterior um, but a gooey you know, inside um, or a gooey outside and a gooey, a gooey mm-hmm. outside and inside. And because this business is tough and you do have to sort of develop a, a kind of a skin to survive it. I think sometimes um, if you've been doing it for a while, you can allow the grace that, um, that creative people need in order to do that you can allow that to, to wear down a little bit because tv is like
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just unrelenting um at a certain point you know um and there's never enough time you know um so but you can't but you can't allow respect to go out the window right otherwise you're gonna get um You're not going to get the best efforts out of your staff and you can't make a writer have an idea, you know, you know, you just can't, Mm -hmm. can't. you just cannot do that. Mm -hmm. So what do you need to do to make it safe for people to "quote-unquote" fail and not feel like they're going to get fired, Mm. you know, um, because they had a day of pitching and nothing that they pitched got up on the board or, you know, nothing that they pitched was embraced. How do you make it so that they come back again and still give you their best effort that has to be taken very, very seriously. Right. Um, if you think you can just browbeat a room um, into excellence. <laughs> uh, good luck.
0: hmm. Um, <laughs> I said I'd have you out by three thirty. It's three thirty one. So we're just I have another, another, r- five I um, have another five great, minutes. Great. Great. So, um, um, well, Shalanda Coleman says, what's the best way for a new writer to get an agent? Um, rather than have you answer that one, I'll just tell uh, Shalanda. Two weeks from now, we're off the next couple weeks. We have, uh, on September 18th, Saturday, we have lit manager uh, uh, Mark Manis. And you, you, as a newer writer, you'd probably want a lit manager. They're the ones you're going to be wanting to sign. Come and ask him all the questions you want. We also have a number of other videos like that. Um mm-hmm. But uh, Marlin's way said, uh, some of us want to write for TV, but don't look forward to being in the room. He was the one who asked about selling the drama and not joining a staff. So I guess that was the reason uh, wanting to write for TV. Uh,
1: is he talking about, he's talking about what, because of the pandemic or is he talking about just in general, he doesn't think he would like a writer's. Book?
0: I don't know. I mean, it sounds like he just does not feel comfortable writing in a room with other people, maybe, uh, much more well i just just
1: just to you know um, i'm going to assume he's talking more about dramas than than comedies because comedies can have um a setup where they are literally group writing Mm -hmm. you know uh line by line um uh that's not typical but i have heard of that um TV is, is a very requires a very specific skill set where you are able to work in a room, but you also have to go off and write by yourself. Mm-hmm. So I would not want to be on a show as a, with a drama where we are actually group writing. That is, that is, so just in case that's what he means by being in a room. At some point, you have to take the work that the room has done and go off and actually write a script. Mm-hmm. So you get to sort of have the best of both worlds. Um, If you are a writer that is like, I cannot be in a room and have people commenting and blah, blah, blah on stuff like that, then I would respectfully say to you that television is not for you, generally speaking. Um, Unless you're going to do a limited series of four episodes and you're going and you have all the time in the world to write those scripts all by yourself on some very luxurious schedule, Mm -hmm. then you're going to need help at some point and you know maybe you're not a person that has a room that has you know eight people in it maybe you're a person that has a small room so you have four players on it or blah 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 but the deadlines in tv and the economies of scale and television um there's a reason that the room model has emerged it is not because that's just what someone sat out sat around and thought of one day. the speed of television and the quality of what has to be produced within that speed is very real mm-hmm. and that is why the rule model exists right uh, and so um yeah,
0: yeah. um so shalanda asked about the name of the agent it's actually a manager named mark manis on the 18th at 11 a.m pacific uh but we have a ton of agents uh and managers on our website script and or just go back to some of the other videos um So it is 3.34. We are one minute early. Uh, Thank you for your time, Anthony. Thank you all for joining us today and spending part of your weekend with us. Uh, We'll see you back on the 18th, everyone. Thank you, Anthony.